Don't look now. Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hageman, coming to you yet again with another random topic. As always, I am in the dark and Jenny is our researcher extraordinaire who's going to bring us uh, whatever topic we're talking about today. So so lead us off, Jenny. What are are we doing here? Halloween. Halloween. Kind of. Kind of. Feels like Christmas right now, but. It feels like the seventh circle of hell out right now. Is what it feels like. <laughs> it's a little cold for the seventh circle of hell, but yeah. I don't I know. It. Who's to say that hell isn't cold rather than hot? Yeah. yeah, my version might be. I don't know. Yeah, it's just miserable. Um, I thought we would talk about, since I kind of gave the history of Halloween last year, um, mm. let's talk about something that we haven't talked about yet. The night before Halloween. Uh, is also know. known as the devil's night ah okay i know so, about the devil's night clearly mostly from movies that mention it and right bigger tradition places other than where i grew up so yeah you know i didn't know it was as big of a deal as it is so yeah, yeah. um it's historically known for being the night where people play tricks on you basically uh it was also known as mischief night And the meeting has evolved considerably over (laughs) time. Um, At one point, it was associated with helping young women find husbands. Uh, It was part of coordinated witch hunts. (laughs) There were protests, uh, vandalism, and then over time, like, straight on riots. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was associated (laughs) with arson in Detroit for whatever reason. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, So the night is known as Cabbage Night in Vermont and New Hampshire uh, due to a Scottish Scottish fortune-telling tradition. So young girls would pull cabbages to examine them and try to divine who their husband would be. Of course, once the cabbages have told the ladies all that they could, the only thing left to do with them is to throw the cabbage against somebody's door and run away. (laughs) Clearly. Sounds like the perfect thing or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the more recent iteration, obviously, of the holiday is just like you said, um, the anti-police riots in Detroit had actually led to a tradition of setting fire to local buildings and dumpsters year after year. Um, and this was detailed in the movie The Crow in 1994, yep. if you ever saw it. Yep. That is that is the first time I'd ever heard of it was watching The Crow and going, huh. I just thought it was something they made up for the movie because I'd never heard of it. And then later, later people were talking about it. I'm like, that's a real thing. And they're like, Oh yeah. I'm like, huh. Yeah. I had no idea. Well, that's like, um, is it the Watchmen that where they talk about the Tulsa race wars? Yeah. I honestly did not know all that until that show came out. Yeah. I didn't know a lot about it until yeah. A whole pretty recently, you know, yeah it really started getting publicized here recently and that was not that long ago yeah it's wild yeah so the first fires were set during anti-police brutality riots in the summer of 1967 
But over the years, pre-Halloween arson in Detroit became a sinister epidemic um, that had little to do with organized rebellion. Instead, the fires turned into annual acts of vandalism that authorities struggled to control for decades. So most people know Devil's Night from uh, the arson in Detroit, um, but it's also been advertised in shows like American Horror Story um, and other TV shows have popularized it as well. Okay. Um, so from American Horror Story, the hotel season, it's actually pretty um, similar to the annual convening of dead serial killers. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know how people come up with this shit. I just find it <laughs> on the internet, right? <laughs> Anyhow. Um, Mischief Night began in England in the 1700s. It was accompanied by children playing harmless pranks such as stealing or sh- switching shop and road signs. And they would overturn tubs of water. Okay, can we talk about like cool kid pranks? I'm going to knock this tub of water over. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's mischievous and it's silly and it doesn't really hurt anybody. Yeah, it would have been a bigger pain in the butt then because that's back when you had to like haul haul the water from the river or from a pump or something. So, you know, right. it it pissed me off far more back then than it would now. You're like, damn it. Okay. Got to haul water another half mile thanks to those damn kids. But those you know, little shits. Yeah, but exactly. that's just like shenanigans. That's yeah, not yes. like someone yep. died over it. Bullshit. Yeah. Not not setting fire to buildings. No. Right. Um, so mischief night really started to gain visibility because the tricks went from being kind of fun, harmless shenanigans to in the 1930s and 1940s, the tricks started to become kind of vicious. Mm -hmm. And they started making the headlines. So in 1934 in Connecticut, a 14-year-old boy was beaten to death at a Halloween party. Um, Jesus. Yeah. The same year, an eight-year-old boy was watching a bonfire, and he was killed by trick-or-treaters. So, like... What the hell? Yeah. And apparently, as late as 1964, trick-or-treaters trashed New York studio um, of an artist by the name of Andrew Waith. So, like, kids were pretty kids people took this like night of mischief very liberally and started being little jerks so um even though the night before halloween has been associated with mischief and mayhem for centuries the holiday began to have serious consequences in detroit during the civil rights movement um the detroit riots of 1967 ignited when decades of extreme poverty racial profiling and police brutality against African-Americans in the city reached an apex. So according to uh, history.com, the first fire was set by rioters at 6.30 on the morning of July 23rd, 1967, after predominantly white police raided a black after-hours club that was being hosted um, for a party that was being hosted for veterans returning from Vietnam, which, ouch. By mid-morning, every policeman and fireman in Detroit was called to duty. Uh, On 12th Street, officers fought to control the unruly mob. Firemen were attacked, and it resulted in 1,400 buildings being burned during the five-day riot. This so-called 12th Street riot was the third worst riot in the U.S. history, Um, and it was during that whole period of time when there were a bunch of race riots across America. Only the New York draft riots of 1863 and the Los Angeles riots of 1992 had more destruction. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. 
when you have to reach back to 1863. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. I, uh, yeah. I was just thinking the other day and I kind of brought it up with Amy that, you know, I always associate the, the late sixties with, yeah, people setting fires, especially, you know, politically motivated fires. Like that doesn't happen anymore. Like at least the same way, like almost every college campus had some building burned down in the sixties due to, you know, to activism of movement. some sort. And I'm trying sure. to imagine students now setting a building on fire on campus and it, you know, because, you know, you go back there to that and you're like, yeah, they burned campus. that down because of whatever. What? Wasn't there a building on campus that was burned down? Was it McCain? Yeah, Nichols was burned down. Nichols, yeah. Yeah. There were, you know, I know, uh, oh, I think the auditorium at KU burned down, I think. Yeah. I'm trying to remember which, yeah. That's how we got the Wabash Cannonball was because yep, yep. the students burned down the... Yeah, they burned down, down. burned down Nichols and the only music left was the Wabash Cannonball, so, you know. Yep. But... uh but yeah, I mean, that was standard enough that you talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, that's burning, you know, it's not even a thing. They're just like, yeah, people burned that building down. And I mean, people would lose their mind if students just went and burned the union down now or something. I mean, you'd be like, what the hell? You know, I can't even imagine in the era of social media, if students yeah. burned down a building on campus, yes. the fresh hell that would be raised. Yes. Yeah. I, people would come for blood. Yeah. Be they're insane. already so anti-student anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so after the riot, President Lyndon Johnson reportedly appointed a National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders, known as the Kerner Commission. Did not know that. So the report decided that what the rioters appeared to be seeking was fuller participation in social order and the material benefits enjoyed by the majority of American citizens rather than rejecting the American system. They wanted to find their place in it go fucking figure they wanted to <laughs> go find their place in American society. And yeah. that's what they were upset about was being treated as different. I can't yeah. fucking imagine. This is, but this is back when everybody was all worried that they were, you know, they're going to go commie and they're going to like somehow team up with Russia and undermine the U S government and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, you know, as opposed to just, you know, they would, they would like a decent life. That'd be nice. But you know, yeah, they'd like equal pay. I don't yeah, know. That'd be good. Uh, the, the chance to get a good job. Yeah. Things like that. <laughs> eh. Crazy. Commies. All right. Commies. Exactly. Uh, while fire set on the night before Halloween in Detroit didn't become commonplace until the 70s, it's reported that the roots of the fires laid in the 1967 riots. So although 1983 is widely recognized as the official beginning of Devil's Night because of its dramatic increase in dumpster fires, which I think is just the best way to describe 2020, that we've ever with, <laughs> by the way. Um, there is evidence to suggest that there was already a low-level insurgency associated with Halloween dating back to 1979 and potentially back to 1967 itself. It was only in 1984, probably due to a combination of the widespread media hype of the 1983 arsons and the World Series victory by the Detroit Tigers on October 31st, <laughs> that there was a huge increase in building fires. So 1984, there's more than 800 fires reported in Detroit on Devil's Night. <laughs> the fires were set after the initial riot were and were rooted in acts of vandalism, not in acts of rebellion. Mm -hmm. And at the height of the arson, the city created a task force with the goal of reducing the number of fires and vandalism on Devil's Night. Um, 
Detroit also tried renaming the night before Halloween to Angels Night to try to change <laughs> the perception of the holiday. That works. As, as you do, yeah. you know. Yeah, this also just reminds me, just going back to the whole student thing of, you know, everybody's all upset about rioting now and all this kind of stuff, and everybody's getting all in a huff, and you're like... People have always rioted. So like, there are multiple Aggieville riots through the 80s that, you know people laugh about ha ha the students rioted and burned shit down and turned over cars and bash stuff because we beat KU in football. So, you know, God, we used to turn over cars too. We used to burn yeah. down buildings and yeah. turn over cars when exactly. we won a football game. Yeah, exactly. Which was a rare occurrence back then, but you know, oh, Lord. And, you know, there was less pearl clutching over that than, you know, present stuff. So, you know, go figure, but, yeah. Uh, so the coordinated efforts between citizens and law enforcement significantly reduced vandalism and violence in, leading up to Halloween in Detroit. So now the days of 800 fires is long behind you. However, um, <laughs> they still have dumpster fires that apparently take place every <laughs> year. It's just not any higher than what you would normally expect. <laughs> it's just a standard dumpster fire night, huh? Standard normal dumpster fire number, <laughs> just whatever you normally have. Um, <laughs> so while the arson in Detroit is most well known as the modern day form of destruction associated with the night before, uh, obviously it's not like the first time that people have associated the devil's night with like vandalism. Mm -hmm. um, violence always seems to increase during economic unrest. Once again, are you fucking kidding me? Really? <laughs> Shocker. Additionally, Halloween itself reportedly began to be associated with witches in 1590 after the North Berwick witch trials, which um, also increased that like shenanigan level, right? Mm -hmm. So that may have led to deaths as many as 4,000 people, which began back in Scotland. So James VI was traveling to Denmark to collect his new bride, Anne of Denmark, in 1589 during the crossing of the storms. During the crossing, the storms were so severe that he had to go back. And he was convinced that it was the work of the witches from North Berwick because they didn't want him to get married. Um, <laughs> apparently there was talk at the time that one of them had sailed into the, the Firth of Forth, <laughs> really hard to say that way, um, on a sieve to summon the storm, which <laughs> proved her guilty of not only being a witch, but also of trying to kill a person of royalty. <laughs> um, there's other uprisings and persecutions around Halloween. Uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, that's kind of why it gets kind of a heavy connotation. Yeah. Uh, and it eventually leads to the holiday itself being recast as this night for tricks versus, or for treats versus tricks, because they were trying to make it more like gentle. So yeah. like they were trying to decrease that, that tricks. So people have really lost the meaning of trick or treat. Yes. Uh, when you go trick or treating, cause it used to be, You'd say trick or treat and they would either give you a treat. And if they didn't give you anything, you'd play a trick on them. And like yep. the thought of doing that in this day and age. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So aside from turning Halloween and the nights leading up into Halloween into a time of fun and treats, um, people were trying to like explain how they were turning this negative thing that was like all of this urban Dis disrepair and all of this decay and everything 
and all this unrest, they were trying to change it into a period of hope and creativity instead, which was the dream of trying to get rid of the devil's night moniker. So it was only when other concerned Detroiters began respiriting and rebuilding Detroit with the community gardens, with peace zones, that hope emerged, that there was this revolutionary movement, um, which has been recognized by people around the world. I kind of wonder how all this is looking this year because it's such a heavy topic anyway, but like with all of the civil unrest, I'm kind of anxious now having learned about this event. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, you really, Detroit seems to have kind of gone through their thing and you haven't really heard much out of Detroit in a while. It seems like, especially they've kind of gone through their contraction and actually bulldozed all of the empty buildings and a lot of this stuff. So they're no longer ripe for that kind of stuff, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see if there's a big devil's night this year. I'll keep my eyes peeled since that's just never a name for something that ever came up in Kansas. So I just never even heard of there being anything the night before Halloween. The night before Halloween was the night you sat around waiting for Halloween, but that was about it. You know, Right. So here's um, <laughs> here's their getting your damn costume ready night was the night before Halloween. But, you know. Right. So yeah. here's some suggestions on what you can do in the spirit of reclaiming Devil's Night or Mischief Night. Um, consider it a call to action for commitment towards making progress towards a positive change through peaceful resistance. It's an ideal time to gather your friends and figure out what resistance will look like for the rest of the year, as you do. Host a letter writing night. Call your senators. Um, All of these are like great things, but none of them are things that I would do. (laughs) Anyhow, in honor of the fire is no longer burning as an act of violence. Light a candle in your fire or your fire pit. Practice meditation. Um, Do something nice. Apparently, even though it's fun to toilet paper your neighbor's house, it's probably a better idea towards to direct your energy towards positive change cool so that's the devil tonight i think i will carve a jack-o'-lantern i think that is going to be my primary activity that night i would bet it's usually when it gets done you know so i thought we could go down the rabbit hole but in a different way than normal um i thought that we could tell each other stories of ghost stories in manhattan Ooh, cool yeah a few anyway yeah. From the Haunted Heartland book that, you know. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you the story of um, the ghost Nick that haunts yep. the Purple Mask Theater. There you go. Nice. So for those of you that do not know, East Stadium is Memorial Stadium at K-State. Um, and it's got a whole, like, I don't know, would you call it classroom section? Like theater yeah, and it's interesting because it's all changed now because they've completely redone the stadium. So right. I actually wonder thing what's is, going on with Nick. Everything has all been switched, and now the purple mask is on the other side of the stadium and all kinds of stuff. But so right. I don't know what Nick's going to do now that they moved the purple mask. But so what the story was was that the old football stadium during a football game, Nick was injured in some way and died while they were trying to get him on a stretcher and get him out of the football stadium, and. He died in the locker room, um, which was located on the east side in rooms 109 or something like that, right? Um, 
And then he, he passed away and then came back to haunt the university. So like when they put the theater in, it occupied the same area as these rooms and he would like throw things or drop things or stomp around. So there was just this whole big history of him um, wandering around the whole thing. So what's the other one? So he stomps loudly on the theater stage. He unstacks and restacks wooden boxes in the theater dressing rooms and spins a fire extinguisher around in the air while shooting foam. (laughs) Apparently that he's been caught on tape. Um, Like people have heard his voice. And recently there was a witness that said while standing in the hallway in East stadium, she heard the sound of someone walking in football cleats, which I guess is a very specific sound to me. I would have never um, (laughs) said that, but when she turned around, she saw the back of Nick dressed in 1950s football gear, walking down the hall towards the main floor of what was the activity center in the 1950s. So now in this same area is the welcome center. No, wait, that is that. Yep, yes. that's the that's the side with the welcome center and everything. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, so if you're a potential it, student coming to K State, you might run into Nick when you you go in and meet the K State people that are going to show you around yeah. campus. So. Also, they did a really lovely renovation, and you oh, should. Oh, it's take really pretty time. now. So you know. Yeah. So, Will, what's your favorite K State haunted story? Ah, well, I'm going to go with one that you know nobody else would know because I'm going to go with the the ghost at Smith House because. Ooh. We had our our own ghost at Smith, so which was Ben Ben the ghost. So Ben Ben. Ben Ben. (laughs) So, you know, when I moved to Smith, everybody would talk about, oh yeah, you know, Ben Ben the ghost is, you know, lives at Smith and you know, thought it was hilarious. Nobody ever really took it super seriously, except there would be weird things that would happen around the house and you know, everybody would blame it on Ben Ben, like but a few of them like I experienced and they were pretty damn weird, like remember being in the hallway outside one of the study rooms. So we had study rooms. So Smith house was, you know, an old house. So you'd have rooms that would have been a single bedroom kind of thing that you now have six people living in. So all of your, your desk and dresser and wardrobe and everything are in there and you'd sleep up in the sleeping dorm, which is a big bunk room, but everybody made platforms and stuff and would have TVs and stuff. So you'd hang out in your room and watch TV. And remember a bunch of us were out in the hallway and all of a sudden like, TV came on in the room like you could see you know the light suddenly came out and you'd hear the sound and we went in there and the TV was on but it wasn't a remote controlled TV it was a TV you had to you know pull the knob out to turn it on and it had turned itself on and we were out there no one walked out of the room there wasn't anybody in the room it just came on which was pretty weird and everyone's like must be Ben Ben ha 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 you know and all this seemed funny you know especially there are multiple inc- incidents of people walking into rooms and, you know, finding oh, various adult fare on the TV with no one in the room. And that was always the joke that Ben right. Ben was apparently into said things. And uh, but it always played it for a joke, except for, you know, summers. I stayed at Smith House and hardly anybody was at Smith in the summer. So there were times where I was the only person in the entire house and it got creepy as hell. Like I never, you know usually never felt creepy around there, but being completely by myself one time and there were these weird noises that just started coming out of the basement and you're like, I don't want to go down there, but I've got to go down there and check, but I don't want to go down there and check, you know? And 
you know, walked down there and they just stopped and couldn't find where they came from or anything. And creepy. It was like, I don't like this. Ben Ben isn't as funny now, but you know, but that was, that was the ghost experience that I personally had. So there you go. Ben Ben, the Smith house ghost. So. Well, here's another one you probably know about. Originally built in 1907 uh, was the old St. Mary's hospital. Yep. So originally it was a plan to rent. It was a building plan to rent rooms to students. um, But there were various uses that it endured prior to that. So um, in 1936, it started out as old St. Mary hospital. um, And there were elderly people that lived there. It's current. And that was also during the Spanish flu. So they dealt with people that were, ill during that time period as well yep. so it's currently no longer a hospital instead it is the home to delta sigma pi on 11th and fremont so during the 1940s it's thought that a nurse unknowingly walked backwards with a cart into an elevator shaft um so she did fall to her death at the time um And what they are reporting is that you can occasionally see a nurse floating down the hallway on the first floor, carrying her medicine tray with her doing her normal Mm -hmm. rounds is apparently quite lovely. Another thing is as the hospital began its decline, nurses were moving patients to a new building when a frail old man fell out of bed and landed near the wall. Um, The nurses didn't realize that he had fallen out of bed And so he laid there through the night and ended up dying. Mm -hmm. Um, They call that spirit George. And apparently he still makes himself known to the fraternity. He's become an unofficial member. Uh, (laughs) George pledged, huh? (laughs) He's like such a frat boy thing to do. It's a Um, straight out old school kind of thing here. It's like blue is living at Delta Sing Sun. So apparently he makes himself known by making a lot of noise on the third floor and unlocking windows and doors. He's mostly harmless, but people get spooked by him still. I don't know. Nice. Yeah. yeah so that, that fraternity. Yep. Those are the two that I, I knew in town were that one and the purple mask. But, uh, but yeah, I had my, my Ben Ben experience and I don't know. I don't know others. I know. So if you ever do the tour, Mm-hmm. Uh, then um, you can take a tour on the haunted trolley. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's pretty lovely. Let's see. There's another one about Duncan. And I want to say it's the same fraternity house. I have to look it up real quick. But um, Duncan was a frat brother that supposedly died during an initiation. Let me see if I can find that one. Not her. Not that one. Yeah, this one's phi gamma delta so it's a different one okay um phi gamma delta duncan died from a brain concussion he was accidentally hit on the head with a paddle during the initiation uh so that haunting started in 1965 and when phi gamma delta moved into the house and threw away the theta psi paddles that were hanging in the library that's when they started noticing duncan making an appearance um, I also remember from the haunted tour, someone said something along the lines of um, they took down wallpaper and there was blood on the wall. Like it's very <laughs> dramatic. If you ever yeah. want to go on the most dramatic tour, <laughs> it's fabulous. Um, for one thing, the haunted trolley, when you get on it, 
I think it costs like 10 bucks to get on. I mean, that's nothing, right? So you get on the haunted trolley at, at Mr. K's cafe over West side of town. And this trolley comes from Estes park where it was purchased, uh, which nice. you know, I'm a fan of. Yep. And it is the sketchiest old trolley you have ever been on. <laughs> the brakes don't work that well. Um, nice. so like, they will gun it through a stoplight because they know that they can't stop in time. <laughs> yeah. Just looking to make their own ghost story. It's going to, you know, they truly are. Um, yep. It's good times. And they will like, <laughs> so they stop at various places. I remember when we stopped outside the purple mask, like the, the trolley didn't stop. It just kept going. <laughs> it yeah. took a while for it to stop. Um, and then they drive by various houses in town and let you get out. So we got out at the fraternity where the um, the, hosp- the hospital used yeah. to be. Yep. And then they just start driving around town and tell you stories about various places. And then they start telling you a story about Sunset Cemetery. Have you ever been to Sunset? Yeah. Yeah. Been to Sunset okay. a lot. So Sunset is not where the original Sunset was though, right? I've heard that, but I don't know where the original one was. So uh, Meadowlark. Okay. Huh. So they relocated this. 1800s era whole cemetery from Meadowlark, which is off of Kimball and put it over on Manhattan. So it's fairly good distance. They had a whole archeological dig to try to find everybody and get them named right. And everything when they moved them over, it was a whole big thing. Mike Finnegan led that if I remember right. Um, And they, so this haunted trolley will take you up to sunset cemetery. Only they forget to mention during the tour that this is not the original home of the cemetery and they make it seem like it's i don't know like it's a really ancient cemetery and it's just not and there's the one um grave that's got like the little cave and the gates and stuff yeah that's always looks impressive anyway yeah the little mausoleum yeah they have some crazy story about a demon that lives there and it's just it's a lot i recommend it (laughs) You should totally nice. go on. Yeah, I need to, need to look for this thing. Huh? Yeah. It's cool. through them. Um, they also do the Christmas holiday lights tour. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I did run into one thing. Amy and I have been geocaching recently, and there was a geocache that was hidden at the Stanglebean tree. And we're like, what the heck is that? And Stanglebean tree. Yeah, and I went to the place, and it said that the people that hid it there hid it there because originally there was a metal plaque driven into this tree that said, you know, the Stanglebean tree outside the haunted house at whatever street this was, but there was no house there anymore. And they can't find a record of what house used to be there. So you know, now there's just some apartments there. So I don't know what original old house or something was there that was the haunted house with a Stanglebean tree, but it seemed pretty interesting. So geocaching is really interesting. It creates an interesting like community Mm-hmm. apparently the museum has a geocache somewhere because when i worked there people would occasionally pop by looking for it i never i wasn't into it at the time yeah so i just thought it was weird but manhattan has some interesting history yeah even just like the little hartford houses that got moved around and stuff like that were fascinating so yeah yeah cool cool so that's that's my story about um, nice. the Devil's Night and some haunted stuff in in Manhattan. Yep. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna put in a pitch again for Haunted Heartland. I'm gonna have to go buy that for myself or something because you know 
I've okay. not read that since I was a kid and it scared the crap out of me. So, But it was such a good book. Yeah, but I had everything from, you know, Manhattan to the church installed, all kinds of stuff. So, you know. But Beth, Beth, um, Beth Norman, is that right? I'm looking at Beth. Yeah, I don't remember. Scott and somebody Norman. Yeah, uh, I mean, that sounds right, but I, I don't remember the author. Norman Michael, Michael Norman. Okay. okay. Beth Scott and Michael Norman. I can see their yeah. name. Nice. Big, big red letters. <laughs> that was oh, it was such a good book. I think I was in Girl Scouts when I was nine, and someone bought it and brought it to Girl Scouts, and it was just <laughs> nice, solid. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's my story. Very cool. Well, thanks, Jenny. Of course. Uh, and happy Halloween season to everyone. We're we're getting close. So. Oh my gosh, aren't we? We're a week away, basically. So, a little less. I, 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 I'm looking forward and not looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, I'm just wondering how much is going to happen and how many people are going to be out and what everyone's going to do. And, you know. I have to say, one of the uh, community members here is super cute. She has two skeletons that she has been changing their, like, decoration every single day for the month of October. <laughs> so they're a little bit like elf on the shelf only they're nice. skeletons and they have their own Facebook page and it's just the most clever fun. It's just so well done and simple. Nice. I love it. She's very cute. I love it. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of stuff, if we're doing that kind of shenanigan and that kind of mischief, I'm in for Halloween. Let's do this. <laughs> Sounds Let's good. be respectful, wear your masks, that kind of yep. stuff. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yep. yep. Sounds good to me. So yeah. I'm hoping we get some people and hope, you know, because it's something you can definitely do in a reasonable way. I mean, you're going to be outside. You can easily stay apart from people. You know, it's not, it doesn't have to be bad. So. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do your best. Be careful. That's all. Yep. All you can really be asked for. Yep. Sounds good to me. Well, yeah. Thanks everybody for listening yet again. Um, you know, rate, review, subscribe, check out Hollow State Audio, who do our intro and outro music. And uh, as always, stay safe, and we'll catch you in a week. Bye. Bye bye.